Midnight Rider, a classic from the Allman Brothers Band. Especially poignant given that we've learned of the death of Greg Allman at his home in Savannah, Georgia at the age of 69. There's no question the Allman Brothers, the bluesy jam band pioneers who all but invented Southern rock, earned a special place in music history. It seems the man who first sang The Road Goes On Forever more than four decades ago wasn't too far off. So you're going to do it until you can. Oh, yeah. Until you just can't do it anymore. <laughs> until you have to take my ass out there on a stretcher. <laughs> What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. Like Brian. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't die. Jim Morrison said it best back in the late 1960s. No one here gets out alive. Fortunately, that's true for all of us. And courtesy of CBS on the front end of the podcast today, the audio, Greg Allman passed away at 69 over the weekend. So that's back-to-back -back weeks. Chris Cornell one week, Greg Allman the next. A couple of my favorites. The difference between Greg and Chris is I saw Greg Allman in many variations over the years. For the first time, I saw the Allman Brothers in 1998, I believe. Maybe 1999. It was before the turn of the century. And I was mesmerized, man. Mesmerized. Because I was just starting to get into that kind of music. Or, or the transition was happening to, um, I was a Southern rock fan for a long time in that era, you know, circa mid-90s, late-90s. I kind of transformed from all grunge to a Southern rock, rock and roll, and then towards the end of the decade and into the beginning of the new century, I started to transition into jam bands. And, um, of course, when you listen to uh, Almond Brothers on, on, you know, crappy classic rock radio you hear the same three songs over and over again and you get a representation of what the Allman Brothers are that's not real it's um it's a flawed representation of what the band is and so I thought I knew what the Allman Brothers were until I went and saw them and you know in 1998 1999 they were a band that obviously had been around for a long time at that point but they still had a lot of youthfulness in them and Dickie Betts was still with them and it was, uh, it was a really good lineup, and um, it was so much fun. And from that point on, anytime the Allman Brothers were anywhere nearby or Greg Allman or, or any variation, I was uh, always there. This is the Stone on Air podcast, the weekly dose for May 31st, 2017, the final day 
of May. Unbelievably, it's gone by just like that. Coming up in next week's installment of your midweek download destination, I'm going to talk a lot of Bonnaroo talk. Why? Well, because it's Bonnaroo time. So that's enough reason for me to mention it. I know some of that stuff bores people. Sorry. That's my thing, man. That's my favorite place in the world, and I'm going to talk about it every year when it comes around. And I, I, I put out on social media today that 2016 totally sucked and 2017 totally doesn't suck. Because I didn't get time to cue up the hallelujah music, but I, I, do have, I do have crowd applause. I can do that anyway. It looks like my Bonnaroo wishes have come true. And I am going to be in my normal capacity at Bonnaroo. My karma, my festival karma is strong. And my begs and pleads that I put out through social media and through the people that I've been attending this festival with for a decade and a half, I have secured the access that I need and I am so freaking excited just so freaking excited because I was really worried that it wasn't going to happen so I'm going to have a big weekend if the Predators are still in the in the in the hunt for the to win the Stanley Cup or even if you know whatever if they can make it to six games then I'm going to be up in Nashville that same weekend to uh, to hang out there as well it's going to be a huge huge time cool people fun people all around, and it's going to be so much fun. So I'm going to save some Greg Allman and Allman Brothers stories from uh, years past at Bonnaroo for the entire Bonnaroo um, preview, if you will, or just the the Bonnaroo show, which will be the first day of June, the first Wednesday of June. Let's see what date that'll be exactly. June 7th. So June 7th, I'll be leaving that night uh, to, to head up to Bonnaroo. So happy, happy for me. Uh, my friend Tanner Morrison does a podcast called Brew Chat. It's normally about beer, uh, generally speaking, movies and TV, pop culture. Well, me and a guy named Brandon Jones, who I just met through Tanner, he's a friend of his, kind of comes from a philosopher's kind of angle. We talked a lot about fake news, propaganda, and media in general. On the latest one, episode 74, I think it is, search out Brew Chat and check it out. It is about an hour and a half long. It is a little bit long, but uh, I thought it was a fun conversation. Coming up on today's show, I'm kind of having a this this time last year week. I am kind of a this time last year kind of guy. I tend to dwell on the past, focus on the future, and often lose sight and and don't appreciate the present. That is something I've dealt with for a long time that I know needs to be adjusted because I think taking advantage of the present and fully being able to embrace what's going on around you at that exact moment is very important. With the past, I'm kind of an archivist by nature. I, 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 I collect. I'm a huge collector. I collect programs from events I'm at and handbills and newspapers. And, um, and I used to scrapbook before Instagram became such a thing. I really like to document the past. So I'm always thinking about what was I going on this time last year. And this time last year was a big transition period in my life. And so I started listening to a lot of stuff that I was doing at the old radio station, Talk Radio 102.3, and I found a show from right about, almost to this day, I didn't mark the date, but it was May 2016. And I remember now the show, vividly, obviously, I listened to it. But I forgot all about it. Might as well call me Nostradamus over here. I called it. I, 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 I predicted the future back in May of 2016. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about coming up here on the tail end, the final segment of the show. 
So speaking of the Predators, it is really cool, man, what's going on in Nashville. And it's so cool to see how many people are getting on board with this. I have no problem with bandwagon fans as long as it's genuine. As long as there's something exciting to happen, embrace it. It's a little irritating when people fall off when a team's not any good and you lose, you know, kind of like where the Titans are. This is what happened to the Titans in 1999. I mean, the town went crazy for them as they made a Super Bowl run. And that's what's happening with the Predators up in Nashville. And I've always been a hockey fan. I'm an NHL fan, but not a little more than casual, but not real hardcore. And growing up, I was a big Blackhawks fan. And then I got older and realized I'm not a Blackhawks fan. That was just because I was in Chicago a lot and went to a couple of games. And then the Thrashers came along, and I got on board with them down in Atlanta, and then they moved. And I was kind of disenfranchised from the NFL, excuse me, the NHL. And uh, the last couple of years, I've come around to really paying attention to this Predators team because they've been good for a couple of years. They didn't just come out of nowhere. They had a great playoff run last year. And um, this is really awesome. So I do hope to get up to Nashville for a couple of games. And uh, I see some people arguing, you know, bandwagon fans or, you know, I see some people on social media. Just stop. This is cool, man. This is this kind of stuff doesn't happen very often. And uh, embrace it. Enjoy it. All right, what else? Uh, I'll get to Stone's throw here in just a minute. That's about Tiger Woods, kind of, but not really, actually. Coming up here soon, I'm going to do an experiment, and I'm going to do it right around the end of June. Haven't decided what day it is yet. There's a website a friend of mine's put together. It's an online radio station. You might have heard remember me talking about it a little bit. ChattanoogaTalks.com, yourtalkradio.net.com. Work.net. I can't remember the exact URL web addresses right now, but he hasn't officially quote unquote launched it yet, even though it's right there. And it is a online radio station. And I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but I'm going to give it a try because first of all, I know it'll be fun. So it might be a lot of work and I might only do it one week, but coming up in about a month, I'm going to do a week long of live radio shows at 10 a.m., on this website, which I'll tell you more about next week when it's officially out there and you can go check it out. All the programming is syndicated from all over the country. Some A lot of it's right-wing crazy stuff, but it is programmed with, with news at the top of the hour, weather breaks thrown in there, just like you're used to hearing if you turn on a radio station. Now, I don't know a lot of you out there listening to this podcast might give a damn about a radio station. You might not, and that's fine. If you don't want to hear it, totally cool. I get it. I'll still do the podcast once a week. I'll still do the random live remote podcast around the city and around the region. That's not going to change. But I miss doing traditional radio. Podcasting and radio shows are not the same thing. They're not even kind of the same thing. And it's taken me a long time to fully embrace and understand that idea. And I really miss the concept of live radio. And those punks over there at uh, Talk Radio, uh, the, the fraudulent programmers that they are, if you listen to that sometimes still, this is just going to give you another option. There's a good chance you're listening to the radio on your phone anyway. So I'm going to do a week of it, live radio for at least an hour a day through the Internet. And I'll, I'll, I'll flood social media and I'll remind you, remind you, remind you. And it's going to be kind of a market test. And if it gets good results as far as feedback and listenership and hits to the website, then I might use that as part of the platform of the whole Stone On Air brand. And maybe it'll become something that I can do. Maybe it's the worst idea ever. I don't know, and I can't know, unless I try. More on that coming up. Stone's Throw is right now. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. 
Stone's throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa! Back up the truck. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me, I'm stupid, I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? The final segment of the show is going to be probably a little longer than normal, so I'll try to keep this one short and to the point. Um, I, this concept for this segment came to me this afternoon. I mean, I my whole life is show prep, man. I walk around trying to put together show ideas based on everything I do in life. And um, so I'm constantly show prepping, and then I actually sit down pen to paper or keystroke to Word document and then bang out, you know, show sheets, I call them, and, 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 and put together a plan and a, and a real attack as to, uh, to whatever the project is, whether it's radio or podcasting or whatever. And so today I wasn't really sure what I was going to do about it until I started reading more about this thing with Tiger Woods. If you got a DUI the other day. I don't really care all that much about Tiger Woods anymore. I loved watching him play golf. I loved it. As a matter of fact, I'd have never turned on golf for my entire life still to this day had Tiger Woods not played. And I think that's true with millions of Americans and potentially millions to hundreds of millions of people on the planet. He is, I think, the best to ever do it. But there's something about Tiger Woods that I believe is a little bit of a microcosm of American society. I believe that Tiger Woods is a drug addict. I believe that Tiger Woods has been taking drugs his entire life. I believe that he has been on performance-enhancing drugs throughout the bulk of his career, certainly during the heights of his career. I believe that he can't get healthy at 39, 38, and 40 years old, 37 even, can't get healthy and can't be competitive in the sport anymore because he's been using designer pharmaceutical drugs his entire life. And I'm not mad at him about it. Uh, I, I wish that the sports that I watch and follow would govern this well because I want a fair playing field with natural ability being the, uh, the most important thing on the field. You know, some people are like, I don't care, let them take whatever. That's not me. I don't, if with sports that I like, I want there to be a governing body to make sure that that doesn't happen or at least cuts it down as much as possible. I don't know that golf, you know, PGA has any kind of governing body. I just don't know. But there's a reason why you've never heard of a golfer failing a drug test because they're not taking any drug tests and they're not taking any drug tests that, that really mean anything. And so I do believe that Tiger Woods is a drug addict. And that's fine. That's his problem. Whatever. Think about it. Think about American society, American culture. We love drugs. Somehow the frying pan and the egg, this is your brain on drugs, any question? Somehow that thing went out the window. We don't care about drugs anymore. Most people don't care one second about your smoking pot. Why that? And I don't either. And I don't have a problem with, a, with consenting adults doing drugs and doing whatever you want to do. But, I mean, think about it. Ever popped a Viagra? Boom. Performance-enhancing drug. You ever taken a Xanax because your day sucked? Boom. Performance-enhancing drug. Have you ever taken an Ambien because you couldn't sleep? Boom. Performance-enhancing drug. It doesn't matter what the performance is. The drugs are enhancing the performance. And we all do it to a certain degree. And it has become so normalized, it is a little bit infuriating. For the first time, I'm not into drugs. It's for the first time in my long life of, of wanting to get my hands on drugs all I could the last several years, I'm not into it anymore. And I'm understanding the dangers of it. I'm going to give you an example. The other day, 
or the other week, month, whenever it was. I'm talking to somebody who I can't even remember who it was exactly, but uh, who I highly respect and enjoy a dialogue with. And I, I have a major, major sleeping issues. Uh, it's complete insomniac. And it's getting worse, worse and worse and worse as I get older. I've been dealing with it since high school. And so I, I don't ever go to the doctor. I've got incredible genetic makeup. I'm, not, I'm never sick. It doesn't matter how terrible I treat myself. I, I, I stay pretty healthy. And I'm telling this person who knows who my doctor is, as a matter of fact. Um, I don't even know who my doctor is, but they knew who this person was. And I said, yeah, I'm going to go in this week and get a physical and talk to him about what my options are with my sleeping problems. And this person said, well, what are you going to tell him? And I said, what the hell do you mean what am I going to tell him? I'm going to tell them whatever they need to know. I'm going to tell them what my physical activities are. I'm going to tell them what my sleeping habits are. I'm going to tell them, you know, what my diet is like. I'm going to tell them what I do and don't drink. I mean, what do you mean? What am I going to tell them? I tell them what vitamins I take. Well, I mean, what a dumb question. Of course, I didn't phrase it like that, but that's what I was thinking. And, and this person said, well, then they're not going to give you what you're, they're not going to give you anything. And I said, well, then that's what they're supposed to do is not give me anything. I'm not, we're not, I'm not supposed to go to the doctor to try to trick them into giving me drugs. That's not what the healthcare system should be about. The healthcare system should be about getting well, getting advice on how to live a more productive and healthy life, not how to trick them into giving you drugs. And so that's a perfect example of how we've normalized the addictive nature of drug use in this country. Pharmaceutical drug use is big business. And it's big, highly addictive, and everybody's doing it. Virtually everybody. And this is what got my attention today and made me start thinking about this. I always get accused of the, you advocate drinking and driving, or I try to minimize how dangerous it is. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. It's dangerous. Don't do it. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Have I been clear enough? I think it's serious. You shouldn't do it. All right. Here's what Tiger Woods is. PR team, agent, damage control team, and this is what they release immediately after he's, he's arrested for DUI earlier this week. They put out a release that says it was not alcohol. He was not drunk. He had a dangerous combination of medications that he was highly affected from. He wasn't drunk. He was high as hell on, on drugs. Think about that for a minute. They did that as damage control. That was damage control. Well, at least he wasn't drinking. It's just drugs. What? At least, and I've, then I'm hearing people, well, at least there wasn't alcohol involved. At least there wasn't alcohol involved. If you, DUI, driving under the influence. We say buzz driving is drunk driving, right? Well, why isn't dri driving stoned out of your mind on pharmaceutical drugs also fall into that same category of driving under the influence when it comes to the way we perceive it? Why is it not that way? Why do people not think about it that way? Because we've normalized drugs. We've normalized taking drugs in this country. It's okay. It's fine. You can be a drug addict. We'll just get you some help. You need to talk to somebody. Have a few too many drinks and drive. You're vilified. You're one of the worst guys ever. DUI is big business. Look at DUI law. Look at the justice system in, 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 the, in the daily court dockets. DUI is big, big business. DUI defense, big, big, big.
business. And it's because of Mothers Against Drunk Driving and other organizations and your, your states and your cities sponsoring half a million, two million, million and a half dollar ad campaigns telling you that buzz driving is drunk driving and plastering it all over the walls and coming up with stupid little slogans, spending you know, entire uh, huge bank loads of money telling you that this one thing is bad but while we just all the rest of us for some reason think this other thing is no big deal. And that's not cool. And that's not okay. Driving stoned out of your head is not okay, period. And it should be handled just as seriously. We've made doing drugs and being a drug addict okay. It's fine. We've normalized it. And I find that to be troubling. Because drugs and drug addiction is killing people just as much as alcohol and alcohol-related injuries on the, on the highways and texting and driving and other distracted drivings. We don't care about any of those things. Nobody makes any slogans for those. We don't have budgets in the government office to, to scare the hell out of you about, about taking drugs and driving. Got people high as a kite all over this damn country, driving around in cars, endangering people's lives every single day. But if you drink and drive, you're vilified, but there is too many other things going on here that are being ignored for me to just sit back and just take it. I mean, th- think about this sentence. Well, Brian the other night got a DUI, but at least he wasn't on cocaine. Wait, what? Man, that dumbass stone, dude. He got a DUI the other night. Did you hear that? Well, hell, at least he wasn't on opiates. Huh? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. That's a stupid sounding comment. But all day long today I've heard, well, that Tiger Woods, he's got all kinds of problems. I feel bad for him. At least he wasn't drinking. You know, at least he wasn't drinking. What? He was stoned out of his head because he's a drug addict and he's been on drugs his entire adult life, very likely. Doesn't minimalize this situation at all. And I can make an argument that it makes it worse. So, I know people, I already know, you. people hear what they want to hear. People think that I'm just a, dr- a drinking and driving advocate, but I'm not. You're buzzed on drugs. You shouldn't be operating cars, vehicles. Heavy machinery. You shouldn't. But to act like being stoned on drugs and driving around is no big deal is really, really concerning. This is a song from Almond Brothers from 2003, an album called Hitting the Note. I'll tell a story about that next week at the Bonnaroo um, podcast where I, when I went to Bonnaroo in 2003 and I was listening to this album a lot. And I love this song, and it's it's kind of what we're talking about here with Tiger Woods and the disastrous behaviors, and I have my share of, of total idiot behavior as well, and the high cost of low living. The high cost of low living is bound to put you six feet in the ground. And that's kind of where I've gotten around thinking recently, the last couple of years. I don't want to wake up and be like Greg Allman at 69 years old and barely be able to get out of bed. I don't want to be like Tiger Woods at 40, 41 years old and all high on drugs because I can't because I, you know, that's what I've always known. I don't want to be that. And and so that's why I take it more seriously. And I'm an alcoholic. I say it all the time. I got to cut I got to do something about that. Um, but you know, we all got our problems in life. So, coming up next, I told the future a year ago, and it, I'm not right on it all yet, but I believe I will be. Just call me Nostradamus over here. It has to do with the presidency of the United States. And what future was I able to tell one year ago right now? I'll tell you next on 
the Stone On Air podcast. It's the most listened to, the most downloaded, and the most easily accessible show in the city of Chattanooga. Like, share, and always love. Rate and review if you get a chance, please. I'll be right back. such a person as Melissa? Uh, no, but there was, uh, it was a person that I had dreamed up. I was real lonely. And I had everything in the song written, but the title. And I got, but back home will always rhyme with sweet Barbara, <laughs> with sweet Mary Jo. And I just, I just, I was flabbergasted, you know? Inspiration came to him in, of all places, a grocery store. I was the only one in the store except for this one Spanish lady, and she had this little toddler with her. She was everywhere, and one time she just took off down this one aisle, and the lady just freaked out, and she went, Oh, Melissa, Melissa, come back. <laughs> and I went, Oh, lady, I could kiss you. Melissa, that's it. <laughs> Again, audio courtesy of CBS. Never heard that story before. Did not know who Melissa was or if she ever was a person. All I know is, is that if you've had a Melissa in your life in any way, and this song could either be the sweetest song you've ever heard or potentially one of the most gut-wrenching kicks to the you-know-what. Just depends on the situation. And one of the Bonnaroo stories that I'll tell next week is, is not really that great, but I just had a relationship fall apart with a girl named Melissa, and I couldn't go to Greg Allman because I didn't want to hear this song. I was like, I, there's no way I can go to see Greg at Bonnaroo this year. I can't remember what year it was. And I ended up going anyway. And I had my media pass, so I was right up front. And, man, it was as therapeutic as anything. And he cranked out Melissa, and I was just like, man. I, knowing me, like, probably bawled like a little baby right there. It was awesome. It was so cool. Freaking love y'all, my brothers, man. Last week, I was going through some audio from a show from a year ago where I was talking about the story with the mayor and what I believe to be an appropriate relationship with one of his staffers and 
then there's somebody found out the husband and then there was a there was some kind of fight one night and then there was a police chief called and blah 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 and then the eventually conveniently the story just disappears and I talked about it on the radio one month before I was fired and I got all my information from Robert T. Nash and uh, the radio station hates Robert T. Nash I believe there's actually like an actual policy now that you're not allowed to talk to him bunch of frauds over there I mean you're just punk asses is what they are so anyway, I started digging through that, and then I start seeing other shows from that from May of, of, of uh, 2016, and I started to listen to some of them. And I found a show that I totally forgot that I did, and I realized, holy hell, I told the future. And I now go back to my thoughts on this, and I remember thinking, I truly believe this. Sometimes people, you know, get hyperbolic or just sometimes make stuff up to get reaction. And at this time last year, I was beginning to feel like this was looking really bad for Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. And so that day, I do about a 15-minute segment on this. And I'm going to go back through six or seven pieces from that show to show my future telling skills. This was one year ago, almost to the day. Don Trump is about to be the president of the United States. He's going to be. As far as if you're asking me, I think it's done. This has shifted from the Republican Party being a disaster to now the Democratic Party is a disaster. Bernie Sanders fans, Bernie Sanders followers, Bernie Sanders allegiance hate Hillary Clinton. And the thought of Don Trump being president over her somehow makes sense to them. Bernie Sanders is destroying (laughs) what we knew of the Democratic Party and Don Trump is destroying of what we knew of the Republican Party. Both the parties are destroyed. Both of them are shells of their former selves and are going to have to have some kind of makeover, for lack of a better way of putting it, to to have any kind of semblance of normalcy coming from elected officials anymore. Maybe there's no such thing as normalcy in, 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 in politics anymore. But I said forever and ever, and I still believe it, that a politician should be a qualified politician because that's what the damn job is. And Bernie fans, I remember him. I love Bernie Sanders, too. But uh, the the guy's a little bit of a kook, and he doesn't have a really good plan as to how he's going to do anything. Sound familiar? But they were just like, that's fine. Let Trump win. Blow it up. We'll blow it up. We'll blow up the whole system. Well, congrats. That's what's on its way to happen. Both GOP and Democrats alike sitting around all happy about how they've, they've broken their system. I thought we did everything the best. I thought the United States was the best. We, we, our system is now potentially fatally flawed, and everybody's happy about it. Those who won and those who lost. Not me. I'm not happy about it at all. But part of why I believe that the White House was going to flip is because history shows that that was exactly what was going to happen. But here's the deal. Coming up in the next four years, four and a half years, the next administration is going to be a complete failure. doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who the next president is. It's going to be a complete disaster. Only one time in modern history has has the party held the White House for longer than two terms. That was Reagan to George Bush Sr., 80 to 92. And that ended miserably for H.W. That's the only time that's ever happened in modern history. Now, of course, FDR had four terms from 1933 to 1945, I believe, as those years. So post-World War II, 
the only the one time has there ever been a uh, not a change when there was a two-term president. But there are the three things that I believe American society is most afraid of. And this future hasn't been told yet, but also history proves that there's three things that are going to continue to happen and continue to scare the hell out of this country. There are some trends in American history that are very, very telling that are going to define the next four or five years, regardless of who the president is. There's three things here that are happening regularly that are issues that we are most scared of as Americans, most terrified. Most, our, our biggest fears are these three things. Mass shootings, radical Islamic terrorist attacks, and economic downturns. Now, I went back and did 10 years worth of numbers on all three of those things back then. I remember I worked my ass off on this show. Part of why I was so frustrated back then is I watched everybody around me mail it in and not even freaking try and telling stories about hanging out in the woods and doing no preparation whatsoever. I put a ton of work into everything I do. It's very important to me. Went back 10 years to put together some of these statistics. Mass shootings. A mass shooting is an incident involving multiple victims of firearms-related violence. The United States Congressional Research Service defines a public mass shooting as one in which four or more people selected indiscriminately, not including the perpetrator, are killed. So we'll start with mass shootings. And I'm starting 10 years ago, from 06 to now. In the last 10 years, mass shootings, that's 3,650 days. Easy math, right? There have been 43 mass shootings in the, in the United States of America. That means once every 85 days, there's a mass shooting in this country. When was the last one? Oh, let's see. February. Huh. Where are we at now? Let's see. May. Okay. Yeah. Once every almost three months. When's the next mass shooting? Five minutes from now? Five days from now? Five months from now. These are going to keep happening. The next on this list, Islamic terrorism or radical Islamic terrorism. It's defined as any terrorist act, set of acts, or campaign committed by groups or individuals who profess Islamic or Islamist motivations or goals. One year ago, almost to the day, this show was recorded on Talk Radio 102.3. The radical Islamic terror attacks since 2006. There have been 274 radical Islamic terror attacks on the globe, on the world. 274 in the last 10 years. That math, that trend, is there's one every 13 days. Every 13 days. They're, they're all over the globe in small numbers, big numbers, or, med, or medium-sized numbers that we do or don't choose to pay attention to. I don't know. There's a dance competition on TV tonight. We might not have time to pay attention to what happened in the news tonight. I mean, it's not Don Trump, so why would we be watching? Every 13 days. These are not fake numbers. This isn't fake news. This isn't something that, that some extremist Twitter account or Facebook page decided to post. Economic downturns, defining a recession. A recession is a significant decline in activity across the economy, lasting longer than a few months. It is visible in industrial production, employment, real income, and wholesale retail trade. The technical indicator of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth as measured by a country's gross domestic product. Economic downturns in the United States economy. I went further back on this. I went back to the, the Great Depression, all the way up to the Great Recession. In the last 87 years, 
going back to, to 1929, we've had 14 economic downturns, 14 recessions in the last 87 years. If you do that math, that puts us at a trend of an economic downturn every 6.2 years. When did the last economic downturn end? Oh, look at that. About seven years ago. So these are all numbers that are going to repeat themselves, and they're all going to be something that the current administration, whoever that was, is going to have to deal with. And how they deal with them is going to be very vital in how the reelection process goes in what is already now just three and a half years away. My final thought from the show one year ago, which if you go to the SoundCloud page, you can listen to the entire segment. This is the Stone On Air podcast. We're on pace for all these things that shatter our lives and shatter our confidence and, and, and bring the most fear to our hearts and our minds and our brains. We're on the cusp of all three of those things, mass shootings, terrorist attacks, and economic downturns. And they're all perfectly set up to be on the clock, on the watch of the next president. And the next president is going to be Don Trump. And he is going to have no idea how to handle this. Don Trump is going to win this presidency because of overreactions and knee-jerk reactions of the American public and the fact that nobody cares anymore what anybody thinks about them. And Don Trump's going to be president. Don Trump can tell you all these things. I'm going to tear up Obamacare the day I get into the first day I walk into office. Do you even understand what legislation is? Do you even understand how government works? It doesn't work that way. You can fool all the dullards out there. But that's not how this works. So Donald Trump is president, and I told you so. Lots of cool stuff coming up this year. 2017 has turned out to be one hell of a year. I say it all the time. If my April goes well and my June goes well, then that is going to almost guarantee a really cool year. And my April was freaking fantastic, and my June is shaping up to be awfully damn cool too with some really cool and fun company and some fun things to do so don't feel sorry for me because i've said it before in the last year feel free to feel sorry for me don't feel sorry for me everything's going to be all right on my end hope you guys have a good week we'll do it again next week and we'll do the week of live shows here soon the podcast will continue to roll out the website revamp is going to happen by the end of the year lots of big things are happening and i'm really excited because the world of new media is real alive and well and it's here to stay and i appreciate you each and every one of you for finding the show following along at stone on air and all social media um, if, you, if you hear a show you like, let me know. If I have a guest on that you like the guest, t- t- tell them that you really enjoyed it just, just to reinforce how powerful that this could be. And I certainly do appreciate it. And you know not, not to be a fraud. People who like me and want to listen to the stuff I do aren't fraudulent assholes like Talk Radio 102.3. You already know that. The truth is incredibly easy to remember. And the space grows. And I appreciate it very much. And I ask you to continue to watch it. We'll talk to you again next week. See ya. Bye. Stay without me.